That was a uh, Good Morning Vietnam reference, if you didn't catch it. Uh, but as Drew said earlier, my name is Benjamin Hutchins. My amazing, beautiful, gorgeous, splendid spiritual wife, Melina, is right there. Uh, so say hi to her afterward. Uh, I'm so excited to be with you guys this morning. We uh, have the privilege and honor of serving and leading the campus ministry in the Roanoke Valley Church down at Radford and Virginia Tech. If you want to send your kids to enemy territory one day. Um, but man, I'm so excited to be here this morning. A lot has changed. I don't know like a third of the people in this room and that's amazing. Uh, it's so cool seeing new faces uh, and coming back to a, a place that I love so dearly that still feels like home. Um, but it seems like, man, you guys just started to get, to get better after I left. Like you guys replaced all the seats. The chairs are not broken. They're comfortable. The welcome table with snacks outside is revamped and revitalizing. And I'm like, man, I guess a prophet gets no honor in his hometown, right? They, they make everything better once he leaves. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I'm going to say a quick prayer. We're going to open up uh, the word of God this morning. So let's bow our heads. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning, God. We know it's raining. God, it might seem dreary outside, but Lord, we're so excited to be gathered as a family here before you, Lord. We pray that uh, you speak powerfully uh, through your word today and cut our hearts, open up our eyes and help us uh, really see the greatness and vastness of your kingdom and of your power. God, and, and please inspire us and convict us and help us and empower us to be faithful stewards of what you've entrusted us with. Lord, we love you so much. We pray these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. So I'm going to jump right in. In uh, Luke 19, if you want to turn over there, we're going to be looking at the parable of the Minas this morning. Maybe Minas, if you pronounce it that way. Feel free to pronounce it. Drew Minas. Uh, but I have a question for you guys this morning. Can you remember a time when you were entrusted with something, but did not handle that, uh, that responsibility diligently? Can you remember a time? I, I know I can. Earlier this week, we, uh, Malia and I came home really late, had a really long day, and we came home late, and, and we didn't cook, uh, and, and so we were like, oh, let's throw in a frozen pizza, and Melina loves pizza, so I put the frozen pizza in, and she's like, oh, so you're going to take care of it, I was like, yeah, yeah, she's like, so you're going to set a timer, right, you know, just to make sure it comes out perfectly, and I was like, oh, yeah, of course, of course, <laughs> and uh, I did not do that, <laughs> I'm someone who gets easily distracted, <laughs> very easily distracted. My attention went elsewhere. I wasn't watching the pizza. I even forgot to put the timer on, which 30 seconds before I said I would do. Um, and I didn't put the timer on and I got it. And I remembered I got the pizza out and it was slightly burnt. And Melina was not happy. It was only slightly burnt though. And Melina was not happy. And man, why I wasn't diligent was because one, I got distracted. But two, I also just didn't care as much about that pizza as Melina did. Melina loves pizza. It's one of her favorite foods. And she loves when the pizza's perfect, but I just didn't care as much as her. And so I'm not here sitting for 15 minutes watching the pizza. Rather, I'm doing whatever I want and then coming back when I think it's about time. And I think that that can, that can relate to a lot of us spiritually with what we've been entrusted with. Because um, I, I know it speaks to me. And so right now, I want you guys to take a moment and write down just a couple things that you believe God has entrusted you with. Just take a moment and write that down. It could be experiences. It could be possessions. It could be time. It could be abilities. 
gifts. Take a moment and write those things down. And we're going to jump into our text here in Luke 19. All right, Luke 19, starting verse 11. Can I get a hallelujah when you guys are there? Awesome. Awesome. I love feedback. Well, the the young people are out of town. You guys got to like really prove that you are fired up. Caleb, I'm talking to you. Now, what's up, Caleb? We're getting lunch after this. I'm super pumped. I hope you're excited too, bro. No, I'm just kidding. All right. Luke 19, verse 11 says, While they're listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. You got to love when Jesus tells us exactly why he tells a parable, right? Or, Or the author, Luke, tells us exactly why Jesus said what he said. So we don't have to guess, right? It's because people thought the kingdom was appearing at once. Keep that in mind as we read the rest of the text. Verse 12, you know, Jesus said, A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. You might be wondering, what is a mina? Well, it's a sum of money. It's about, some would say, a hundred days wages. It's a pound of money. So however far that would go back then. All right, so that's what's happening, okay? Master gives servants money, tells them to put it to work until I come back. Verse 14, but his subjects hated him. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. We're going to break down these verses. I'm going to pause there. And try to bring it to today. What is this like? Okay, so you guys are from Charlottesville. Does anybody, show of hands, this is non, non-rhetorical thing. I want physical body movement. Does anybody know who Nakuya Walker is? Thank, okay, well, okay, a couple. Thank God. Who is it? She's the mayor of Charlottesville, okay? So we're going to pretend like Virginia and Charlottesville. I know it's more of a, a more liberal city than Blacksburg, Virginia. Um, <laughs> but we're going to pretend uh, that it's a communist city or communist state and Nakuya Walker is is kind of one of the mayors in this communist state of Virginia and so she's she's got power and control over Charlottesville and she has servants say 10 10 people who kind of uh, kind of do her bidding in Charlottesville and but we're gonna pretend like she's an amazing woman I'm sure she is I don't know her personally but I'm sure she's amazing like this is perfect communist state like what what you know Marx or whoever would have like dreamed for okay um, so perfect state Nakuya Walker's in charge. She has her 10 people who, who she delegates things to. And, and they really are kind of um, like her face in the town, in, in the day-to-day lives of her citizens. But her citizens hate her. So she goes and she wants to really, really um, be able to bring all the good she's doing everywhere, not just Charlottesville. So she travels to Washington, D.C. and asks, we're going to pretend like some great, amazing president who, who just is so nice to everyone and we're going to call him Donald Trump. Um, and we're going to say that she asked Donald Trump, hey, give me the keys to the kingdom. Give me the power over all of Virginia so everyone can, can understand my goodness. And, and so she goes to D.C. To, to receive kind of the keys to the kingdom. But all of the citizens of Charlottesville still hate her. And what they do is they send a delegation after her to Charlottesville to petition and campaign against her so that she will not receive the power of Virginia. Does that make sense? So that's what's happening here, okay? The citizens hate her. And, and, and so they send a delegation, but the rest of them are still in town. 
And so we're going to pretend like you guys are those servants who have been entrusted with the minas. Uh, and you guys are in Charlottesville. And you've been given a responsibility. And, and what, what Nakuya Walker tells you to do is, is really uh, is to engage in business on my behalf until I return. That's what the text says. That's what the master tells his servants is to put this money to work until I return. And what that, what that means is engage in business. So if you think about, okay, I, resent, I represent Nakuya Walker and I need to engage in business on her behalf in Charlottesville until she returns. What am I going to do to promote her? What am I going to do in the city to promote her power and her justice? But the thing is, everybody else in the city of, I think it's about 150,000 people in Albemarle County in Charlottesville City, they all hate Nakuya Walker. And you're supposed to be her face on the streets. So you're faced with a choice about what are you going to do until she comes back and if she comes back. What are you going to do? You know, we can keep reading. In verse 15, it says, He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it or gained from trading. The first one came and said, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant. His master replied, Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. You get Nelson County, Louisa, Greene County, Stanton, and Harrisonburg. And there's a couple others. The second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, Oh, you take charge of five cities. You can have uh, Waynesboro and... What's that? Hampton Roads, Richmond, you know, whatever. Um, Scottsville, yeah. You can have five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your mina. I've kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you're a hard man. You did not take, or sorry, you take out what you did not put in and you reap what you did not sow. Hmm. Hmm. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man? taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow, then why didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, at least I would have collected it with interest? He said to those standing by, take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has 10 minas. And the people, they protest and he says, well, he who has will be given more, but he who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And we can hear that and that doesn't sound fair. Right? It doesn't sound fair. But what's not fair is, well, this man didn't engage in business on behalf of his master. And if there's anybody in this story that I relate to the most, it's actually this servant. You know, because if you think about it, if you are in this city, in this town, and you are the face of your master, but everyone hates your master and opposes your master, well, who do you want to be known for? Your master? Or do you want to kind of distinguish yourself and kind of be your own person? kind of fit in with the rest of the subjects, the rest of the citizens of Charlottesville. And that sounds a whole lot more appealing because people won't hate you. And when your master leaves and you know people are going away to fight against him, well, you got to hedge your bets and bet, man, who's going to win that fight? What's worth it? You know, we all, I, I think... The vast majority of you, if I asked you, do you believe Jesus is coming back? You'd say, yeah, for sure. But are you living like it 
today, that's a whole nother question. When I ask myself that, am I living like that today? That's a whole nother question. When, uh, when the master, who's obviously Jesus says, engage in business in my name until I return. That's a high calling. What he's basically saying, what he's basically saying is, it's faithfully build the kingdom until I return. I want you guys to start building my kingdom so that when I come back, it's ready and prepared for me. So that all of the citizens who hate me now but could learn to love me will be ready to have me as their king. That's what's going on here. That's what this parable is speaking about. And you've got to gamble on whether or not Jesus is coming back. And you've got to gamble on whether or not you're going to be faithful to him while he's gone until he returns. And for me, that's really hard. You know, being faithful to my master is so hard because what that, what that necessitates is an absolute trust in your master and a trust in his reward and in his faithfulness and in his care and love for me. But the thing is that I don't, when it comes down to the core of my being, I don't naturally trust God. I don't naturally trust that he cares and loves me or that he has my best in mind. That's really hard for me. And it's really hard for me to trust God's people as well. You know, when, when my spiritual mentor, maybe I give him a call and he doesn't answer or he doesn't call me back, my immediate thoughts are, are they're critical. They're, oh, I knew, he didn't, I knew he didn't care about me anyways. I knew I wasn't that important to him. So it makes sense. And then, you know, when my prayers, I, I'll, I'll pray faithful prayers. My wife and I actually were attempting to buy our first house. It's been really hard because surprisingly the, the housing market in Blacksburg is insanely hot. And I'll be praying these prayers for these houses that I'm so emotionally invested in. And we haven't got, you know, all of our offers have been declined so far. Yeah. You know, my prayers, we, like constantly, she's redirecting me. Um, Melina, that is, is redirecting me to hope and faithfulness. But my prayers immediately go, you know, when they're unanswered, immediately my thoughts go, man, like God's not, God's not working. Why am I praying these things anyways? I, 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 I literally told somebody, man, why did I even pray that prayer? Like, I prayed, oh, if it's not your will, God, like, you know, have our offer get declined. By the end of this weekend, that night we get a phone call. I'm like, are you kidding me? God, why did I pray that prayer? I'm hopeless. God, you're never going to answer these prayers. We're never, we're going to rent a dumpy apartment the rest of our lives. You know, those are the things I think. But I get really fearful when it comes to sacrificing my time and my money and my comfortability as well. When it comes to having hard conversations with people. I'm like, man, I don't know how they're going to view me if I say this to them. Like, I see this sin in their life, or I see this toxic relationship, or I see uh, this lack of conviction. I see them walling themselves off from God. Am I going to say something? Or am I going to shrink back in fear because I don't know how they're going to respond, how the people of this world are going to respond to me, maybe if I, if I share about the gospel with them? Or if I ask them, you know, do you really know God? You know, these questions, I get so scared. And my, my, my first, uh, my, my um, tendency is to then rely on myself because I know I can do my best to protect myself. I know I can have my best interest in mind, right? I know that I'm not out here to hurt myself, right? And, and so I trust myself and, man, I stop engaging in business in Jesus' name. I start engaging in business in my own name. You know, I think of when this has come out even, even more in my life is, uh, when I moved to a new place, you know, I felt like it, when I came to UVA, 
I loved UVA, man. But when I came to UVA, I was like, oh, it's God's will. Like, I'm going to be part of this campus ministry here. It's going to be awesome. We're going to grow. It's going to be inspiring faith building. And man, it was a hard couple years. We went through hardships. There was so many times where I was like praying prayers, weren't getting answered. I was like, man, why did, why, God, why'd you bring me here? If I was somewhere else, the grass would be greener. If I was somewhere else, oh, my, my relationships would be better. Uh, I would have the girl of my dreams. I would be more comfortable. I would have straight A's. You know, you come to UVA, you had straight A's in high school. You don't get straight A's at UVA just because you got them in high school. And I didn't get them at UVA. But, um, you know, I thought the grass was greener somewhere else. I, I, moved to, I moved to Blacksburg, Virginia. I think the grass is greener there. It's not. You know, it's uncomfortable. It's a new place. I didn't have friends. Things weren't going my way. People were opposing me. They still are sometimes, you know, I don't know. Uh, things are great, you know, I'm building great friendships and, and we're growing in unity. It's awesome as a ministry. Uh, lots of great things are happening. God's moving, but man, I always think the grass will be greener somewhere else. I always think I'll be more comfortable or more faithful if I'm somewhere else. Right. And when that happens, we start to blame God and we blame the church. Right. I don't know if you guys, I, I grow bitter towards those things. And I don't know if you guys can relate to any of this. You know, but do you grow bitter about how comfortable you are or how uncomfortable you are? Do you think you'd be better off somewhere else or more faithful if you lived in another city or another church? Do you shrink back from engaging in business in Jesus' name because people aren't, aren't, you know, aren't responding the way you want or it's not comfortable or it's hard or your marriage isn't changing immediately or your kids aren't making the decisions you want them to make? Do you start shrinking back? Have you started to live for yourself again? Is the business that you're engaging in really, really just about yourself? Is the kingdom that you're building no longer the kingdom of Jesus and of God that Jesus is going to come back and reign over? But is it a kingdom of yours that will perish? Has the kingdom you've started to build really just your career or your business? Is it your, your family and, and how your family compares to the other families in Charlottesville and Harrisonburg? You know, is it how, how, how your kids are doing in school? How, are, are they on the best sports team? Are they in the best school district? Do they have the best clothes so that they fit in with the other rich kids in Charlottesville? You know, what, what kingdom are you building? I ask that, what kingdom are you building? And why are you building that kingdom? Is it because you don't trust that Jesus' kingdom is greater? Is greater than anything you can build? Is greater than your self-esteem? is greater than your self-worth in the eyes uh, of uh, your neighbors or the people at your job? Do you battle trusting the faithfulness and goodness of your king? And do you believe that he'll do what he says he'll do? You know, I think so many of us, we don't really trust that he is returning and he will reward us beyond measure. Because if we did, we'd think about that a whole lot more. And we don't trust that we are his servants and that he can actually use us to build his kingdom. You know, we get, we get insecure about how, how much God can use us when we don't see things go the way we want them to go. We get scared. That's right. Come on. Thank you, brother. And man, we, we shrink back. And we don't trust that we are really his servants, that we've been entrusted. We don't believe that. Go to my next slide. Hello. Whose kingdom are you building? Are you shrinking back in fear? I'm going to tell a little story. 
When I was in high school, some of you guys know me, you think I'm a little rowdy. It's more rowdy in high school. Uh, when I was in high school, I went on this mission trip. I was a young Christian at the time. It was awesome. Went on this mission trip to Trinidad, and we got to share our faith on the streets. And we went to this teen camp that was on top of a mountain in the jungle of Trinidad, which is a little island in the Caribbean off the northeast coast of South America. Uh, we go to this, this teen camp to really help. Uh, it was like 50 or 60 teens from the community. Help them know Jesus and get to know Jesus and, and develop a relationship with God. So we go to this camp. And we split men and women for the nights. It's a week-long camp. Um, and, and the women, there's only one like real lodge for sleeping at the camp. And so the women had the lodge. And the men had the bunk shelter is what I call it. Because it wasn't a lodge. These, it's a roof. And you got the rafters. And then you have these walls that are like almost like a chain link fence. Except um, made of concrete. So like a concrete. Uh, anyways, this bunk shelter. And there's openings in the walls. And so Trinidad. Trinidadians, man, Trinis is what we call them, uh, but they are on island time. So they, they are up laughing loud, telling jokes, stories, partying till like one, two in the morning, and they get up at six in the morning. And I'm like, how do you guys do this? So I was passed out at like 11. I thought that was late. Passed out at 11 uh, with my buddy, Josh Green. Some of you guys might know him, but we were passed out. Everybody's loud, you know, whatever. They finally fall asleep. Uh, and I'm like hoping, okay, at least get, please God help me sleep through till 6 a.m. when everybody else wakes up. Um, but at four in the morning, there was this ah! running back and forth through this bunk shelter. This guy screaming like a banshee, running up and down the bunk shelter with all these bunks and waking up everybody. And I'm like in a daze. I'm like, what is going on? I think I'm dreaming. But all the Trinidadians are, are getting up and they're like hitting each other with pillows, like, get out, get out, get out. We have to run, we have to run. I'm like, what in the world? I'm not getting, like, it's four in the morning. Why? Uh, so it takes a while for us to get out of bed, realize what's going on. They've all cleared out. And they've barricaded the bathroom door, which is at one end of the bunk shelter. And it's not a nice bathroom, but bathroom door. They've barricaded it with the bunks. And I'm like, what? Why? And they're like, there's a snake in there. I'm like, okay, <laughs> what? <laughs> you woke me up. We cleared out for a snake. Are you kidding me? They're like, no, you don't understand. There's a snake in there. And so they start to tell me the story. And one of the men who was in the bunk shelter had gone to the bathroom in the middle of the night at four in the morning. And he went to pee. And he's kind of like groggy. And he looks up, though, and there's this snake hanging from the rafter right in front of him. And he ran, screamed like a banshee, and they barricaded the door. And so we all get outside. It's like five in the morning at this point. Uh, the light's starting to come out. And so I'm like, okay. We got to figure out where the snake is. So I hope we get the door open. We look in. It's like in the corner of the wall between the outside and the inside. Coiled up now because I got scared from the banshee screaming. So I go outside and we're like, we got to get rid of this thing so we can be normal inside of our bunk shelter. So I get this metal pole. And, and like they were all terrified of the snake. Like nobody would get near it. So I get this metal pole. Josh is behind me. A couple of my friends are like, oh, man. And so I get this pole and I start like trying to get in between its coils and, and pull it down. And it's like going tighter, tighter and like coiling around this post. And I'm like, I got to pull this thing. And then it just like lets go at once and like its head rears out and starts striking at the metal pole. I'm like, oh my gosh, I thought this was a corn snake. This is a viper. And so I'm like, you know, then the adrenaline kicks in. I'm like, oh, let's go. So I pull, I pull the snake down with the metal rod. And I'm like, what do I do? I hit it with the rod. Then I see this rock. So I pick up a rock this big. And I ran, run over and I just bash the head oh, into the snake. I just bash the snake's head in. I'm like going crazy on this thing. It's like, it's, it's like, uh, it's fang is like sticking out because it got bat, the head got bashed in. So it's like sticking out sideways. The head's bloody. And I'm like, I'm hitting this thing like it's dead. I'm hitting it though. 
And it's still like writhing around because snakes, their muscles still contract after you kill them. Uh, I'm like, okay, I think I got it, you know? <laughs> and they're like, they start screaming and chanting. One of them was like, videotape me half of this. Like, whoa, snake king, snake god, yeah! And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is church camp, that's blasphemy. Like, uh, <laughs> But they like start picking up this snake and parading it around. And then they're all like, let's take pictures with it. This is a picture of me holding that snake. You can see how its head is a little bit red. Um... And what I found out afterward, you know, I wasn't scared of snakes because I just didn't, I didn't know any better. What we found out afterward was this was a fair de lance, also known as a Bushmaster. It's the most poisonous snake in South America. It's the most poisonous snake in South America. And I, I, I destroyed that thing. <laughs> and they were fired up. But the only reason I destroyed that thing is because I had an irrational lack of fear of this snake, Right? It's not because I'm so spiritual or bold or anything. I thought that John was a corn snake. Like, <laughs> but when I was in that situation, nobody else was getting near that snake. And I was the only one. I mean, I don't take this metaphor too far, but I was the only one who was willing to get near that snake. You know, I really believe that you guys have been entrusted as servants of God's kingdom to build the kingdom. Yeah. I really believe that. And if that's the case, there's going to be areas of your life where God has entrusted you yeah. with something. And you're going to be the only one who can kill the snakes yeah. in those areas of your life. Everyone else will be either, either will be hating the snake or, or they'll be scared of the snake. They're going to shrink back. Or maybe they're just not in that situation and they can't engage that snake. But there's going to be snakes in your life and areas of the kingdom that you've been entrusted to build up and you're the only one who can do it. And you're the only one who can do it because there's, maybe there's not other Christians at your job or other disciples, you know, really, people who are really living out discipleship at your job to show people the light of this world. You might be, you know, in your family, you might be the only disciple. Or in your extended family, you might be the only disciple. Who else is going to show them the gospel? Parents, with your kids, like that is your primary ministry. That's right. Like as a church, we need to you know, build up each other's kids. And that's part of, you know, if you're in this church, you've been entrusted with building up other, ki- uh, other people's kids as well. But also you got to build up your own kids. Like you guys are the only people who are going to be able to build up your kids in the faith. Yeah. You've been entrusted with that. And your neighborhood, my guess is all of you guys don't live in the same neighborhood. In your neighborhood, it's likely that you guys are the only ones who can build the kingdom in your neighborhood or on your street or in your community or in your children's schools. Who else is going to do it? Because that's what God has entrusted you with. If you shrink back, what's going to happen? The kingdom's not going to be built. Don't let the snakes in your life keep you from building up the kingdom. And I ask you guys, you know, what is God entrusting you with again? And I ask you to write down maybe some other things. But if you know the word of God, you've been entrusted with that. If you've received the Holy Spirit, you've been entrusted with that. Be a good steward of those things. I ask you, are you inviting people into your home consistently to show them true hospitality? You've been entrusted with your home. Bring people into that thing. Are you doing that in your community, in your neighborhood, and in your kids' schools? You know, what location and proximities has God given you to build his kingdom?
What are your gifts? Like Aaron Stevens, that man is great at slides and sound. He uses that gift every Sunday. That's also awesome. he was doing that when I was here. That's incredible. I think of Sharon Fix and Julie Smith. Man, they, they take care of our kids. They take care of your kids. They've been doing that for years. I think of Sharon Fix. I've known her since I was a little kid. And she's involved with the PTO. She was like the president of the PTO at our kids' school at one point. She's in there. She's in our community. How can we be in our communities? What have we been entrusted with? What experiences do we have? Like maybe you wrestle with the depression or anxiety. Not everybody does. Are you using those struggles to actually help people who also wrestle with those things? You've been trusted with that. What has God, what experiences has God entrusted you with to build up his kingdom? You know, I think about these, these awesome people. There's, a, there's another guy who I think just really is an example of this in Roanoke. A guy named Zach Rice. He became a disciple of Jesus at Radford University. Uh, he was the first Christian in his family. Like his family is like definitely not Christian at all. Um, and, and he reached out to his grandmother. And his grandmother's health, we call her Granny June, her, his grandmother's health rapidly declined after he became a Christian. And he actually, after graduating, instead of like kind of pursuing his dream job or going and living wherever he wanted, he actually moved back to Roanoke where his grandmother lived and moved in with his grandmother to take care of her. And he took care of her. He's been taking care of her for years and she became a disciple of Jesus. And then she became one of the biggest servants and encouragers in our fellowship in the Roanoke Valley Church. And everybody looks at her as a beacon of hope. But nobody would have ever known her or met her or had any ability to, to one, help her with her physical needs or her spiritual needs, except Zach Rice. Like God put him in that position. What position has God put you in? And Granny June is, is in the hospital right now in intensive care and her health, it, it's very, very poor. You know, she's preparing kind of for, for the last, her last days. But man, I look at her as a hero in the faith and I look at Zach the same way. You know, some of us might be thinking, this is awesome. These people are inspiring, but, but how do I do this? Like, how can I practically do this? And we're not going to look at it, but I think David, his snake, the snake that only he could slay was Goliath, right? In 1 Samuel 17. Many of us know that passage, but I think there's a couple key takeaways we can learn from him. In 1 Samuel 17, about how he really was able to face Goliath and face the fear and the uh, just lack of care that all the other Israelites were facing. The first one is that David remembered God's deliverance. Like he remembered the ways that God delivered him from the uh, paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he says. And he picked up five stones in the river, you know, from the riverbed. He picks up five stones and he takes those. He only needed one to slay Goliath, but he picked up five. And I think when he was picking up those stones, he must have been thinking how God had delivered him before and how God would deliver him again. And, and there's a guy named John Lusk who preached on, on this passage and he says, he calls those faith stones. And I like to keep faith stones in my back pocket of, of ways that God has delivered me before. That I can remember those and pray through those as I'm wrestling with faithfulness to buy a house or as I'm wrestling with faithfulness for my community, faithlessness in my community and battling these things, I have to remember well, God's come through in the past. He'll do it again. You know, my faith stones are my conversion. That's a miracle from God. The second one is my time in Charlottesville. I grew my faith so much. I learned that people can become Christians and stay Christians and build up God's kingdom. I learned that here. 
My third one is my friendships with Drew and Stephen. These are men who are both in my wedding, but also men that I fought with many times. Like I thought I would never be friends with them. They did not like me and I did not like them when I moved here. It's true, they didn't. But I didn't like them either. But they're some of my best friends now. Like these are the guys who I go to when there's hard things going on in my life and the guys I seek input and advice from. The next one is my love story with Melina. Like there, there's so many times when I, was, I felt heartbroken as a Christian or, or felt like, man, God's never gonna prepare someone for me. But Melina has, is a dream come true. She's a miracle in my life and she helps me spiritually. And the last one I think of, if I had to pick five, uh, is my friendship with a guy named Brandon Owens at, at Virginia Tech and a guy named Josh Himanaka here in Charlottesville. These are guys that, that God introduced me to and uh, have become some of my great friends. I hear that Josh preached this semester on a Sunday. That's amazing. Brandon Owens is a guy, he became a Christian at, at Black, in, in Blacksburg and he leads our family group, uh, one of our family groups at Virginia Tech. He started leading a family group uh, as like a four-month-old Christian. It has been incredible. He's gone through a lot of hardships this year and he's so faithful. Studying the Bible with friends, bringing people out, creating family. I look at these guys, I'm like, man, God is doing miracles and it's nothing I've done. It's God loves people and he'll lead us to those people who want him. I ask you, what are your faith stones? What are the things you remember and look back to to see God's deliverance and know that he will come through again when you feel faithless about your town or your community? The second one about David is while he practiced faith. You know, when he puts on uh, Saul's armor, he says, I'm not used to these. But instead what he picks up is his sling and his staff and these stones. And he goes out to battle because he's used to these things. He's used to being faithful with these things. And so he takes his stones and he puts them to practice. I ask you, are you used to putting God's word to practice? Are you used to battling with your spiritual sword? Because if you want to win the community, if you want to engage in business and build the kingdom here daily, you need to be in your Bible daily. You need to be talking to your God daily. Because that's the thing that's going to prepare you. That's the thing that when everybody else hates you or when you reach out to people and share your faith or invite them into your your home and and they'll respond the way you want want them to. That's the thing that's going to make you prepare for battle. That's the thing that's going to keep you going and make you try, try again. Because God will come through. You have to be used to putting your faith to practice. But the biggest hindrance for us in putting our faith to practice, well, is we we become motivated by guilt. We think, oh, I need to keep putting my faith to practice. I need to keep coming to church on a Sunday or, or a Wednesday. I need to fight to get there on time. Or someone might talk to me about it. Or, man, I, I need to read my Bible every day. Because I need to check that box and, you know, convince myself that I'm being a good steward or a good Christian. And we start being motivated by guilt. And when you're motivated by guilt, I mean, generally, you end up not actually not actually doing anything because God's not using your faith. You're not giving God a chance to work. You're only relying on yourself. Uh, So generally, you you get paralyzed in in your own self. Uh, But more so, well, you you begin to get a, a skewed view of the master. A skewed view of the master, and you think that you have to achieve this standard to please him. And you start thinking, like, if I don't do all these right things, or I don't get these results in my neighborhood, or, or whatever, then, man, God's not proud of me. God doesn't love me. God's not going to come through. 
am I even able to be his servant? And that's what guilt will do to us. It, it, it kills our view of God. It makes us think God, he's someone he's not. And if you look at, back at the parable, the danger of the third servant, we're all in that danger, is that we'll see the master the wrong way. We'll assume that, man, he's a hard man. And we'll be afraid of him. So he says, I was afraid of you because you're a hard man. You reap where you did not sow and you gather where you did not put in, right? We cannot let that be our view of the master. Guilt will destroy us. To battle that, I believe, is the third, the third thing on there. David went out to battle as the good shepherd rather than Saul. It's the third little thing I, I gather from that, that passage is, you know, Saul put on his armor, his you know, grandiose, um, powerful-looking armor and, and his great sword and said, go to battle, you'll defeat the Philistine. And David said, I can't go in this. Instead, he picks up his staff and goes out looking like a shepherd. And this is the same guy who wrote Psalm 23. So you are the good shepherd, you know, you lead me beside green pastures. You, you make me lie down beside still waters. You know, and th- this is the real view of the master. This is the real view of the master. We cannot misjudge our master. Or we'll just be guilty Christians and guilty souls and the kingdom won't be built up. God absolutely trusts you. God chose you to be exactly where you are because he believes you can kill all the snakes in your communities and in your families. And you might be the only one who can and he believes in you. If you want to be faithful to God, you need to trust your God because he is your good shepherd. He is the one who will comfort you with his rod and his staff. He is the one who will refresh your soul, says Psalm 23. And David knew this and that's why he was able to go against Goliath. These other servants knew this. That's why they were able to engage in business when the whole town hated them and hated their master. And they didn't give up because they were faithful to their master. With a master like this, we aren't called to be successful. He doesn't ask you, what were you able to do with my money? But he said, what did my money produce? And success is not built. Our master is our good shepherd, right? Our success is not built on our results, but rather on our faithfulness. You know, Mother Teresa said, I was not called to be successful. I was only called to be faithful. And the same goes for you. If you trust your God, he will use you in due time. He will give you comfort. He will refresh your soul. He will change the world in Charlottesville because he's your good shepherd and you can trust him. You can engage in business. You can build the kingdom in his name, not your own. And he will change the world. He will come back and he'll reward you beyond measure. Amen. To God be the glory.